Hey everybody, it's me, Abby, and welcome to Meet My Monsters! everybody hi there ho there how are ya <laughs> i hope that everybody's doing well on this fantastic sunday well it's sunday by me so you know if it's not sunday by you and you're listening to this i hope you're doing well on whatever day it is by you but yeah guys without further i was gonna say further effects i don't know why but anyways without further ado let's get straight into today's cryptid i am super stoked for this one it is once again a local cryptid so local to my homeland of africa and yeah i cannot wait to share this with you deep within one nope yes <laughs> deep within one of the great african lakes right beneath the surface lurks one of the deadliest water beasts of the continent no i'm not referring to the hippopotamus nor the crocodile this animal slays both of these creatures easily with its saber-like fangs which could easily cut through a man leopard spots, and reptilian scales, the dingo neck is truly horrifying to all who lay eyes upon it. So yes, guys, today we're going to be doing um, a creature from Kenya known as the dingo neck. And yeah, it just, it's, <laughs> it's another water beast and it just leaves me completely terrified as usual. But yeah, so um, from what I understand, this creature inhabits the Great Lakes, um, not the great, not all of the Great Lakes. It inhabits one of the Great Lakes of Africa, known as Lake Victoria. And Lake Victoria spans across, from what I saw on the map, like three different countries or two different countries. But anyways, the the Dinganek is closely kind of like related to Kenya for some reason. But yeah. So the Dinganek is a water-based cryptid. And it's said to reside in the estuary surrounding Lake Victoria, like what I just said to you in my ramble. <laughs> now, it's a relatively large cryptid, estimated to be between 9 to 15 feet in length. It has a square head, the size and shape of a lioness. Its body is said to be covered in large scales, which have leopard-spotted appearance. Which are, <laughs> which have a leopard-spotted appearance. Um... The creature has two tusks which protrude from its upper jaw, said to be large enough to go clean through a man. So in some of the accounts that I read of the dingo neck, it, um, they describe these tusks as being as long as like um, a foot. So I was like, hey, <laughs> those are some big teeth there, buddy. Um, and yeah, the, the creature's entire body ends off in a fin-like tail. So now... Uh, like I said, the Dinganek is a water-based cryptid. However, it can actually, it's semi-aquatic. So it's, um, it plays in the water, but it's also been seen to like bask on the banks of any shore, you know, um, around the rivers surrounding Lake Victoria. And its prey is <laughs> quite unsettling and very unnerving. So the Dinganek is known to have its pick of any prey in the area. It hunts anything from bull hippos to monkeys, even going for fishermen from time to time. The dingonek is said to be incredibly stealthy. It ambushes hippos from behind, sinking its huge tusks into their hide. However, an interesting note is that this creature apparently will dine on all other animals save the elephant. So yeah, so 
The dingo neck will eat anything around it, basically, apart from an elephant, which is odd. So there's no explanation as to why this is. Um, but maybe, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe it just feels weird eating something with tusks. Because <laughs> it's got tusks. I don't know. Maybe it's sensitive to that. Now, this creature made its first appearance in Western culture in the early 1900s. Big game hunters would often come from abroad and took a huge fascination in the local tales of wild, unheard of creatures. One hunter in particular was John Alfred Jordan. His encounters with the din uh, dingo neck have been published in various works throughout the years. The first of which came from the memoirs of fellow game hunter, big game hunter actually, Edgar Beecher Bronson. In Bronson's book, Enclosed Territory, he recalls Jordan's tale, um, tale tales of one of, ah, guys, let me try that again. In Bronson's book, Enclosed Territory, he recalls Jordan's tale of his one-on-one -on -one encounter with the cryptid. That's better. So this is a direct quote from the book, and I did give the little book a read, and it's, it's cute. <laughs> then there's the infernal horror of the reptilian bounder that comes up the Magori River. Yeah, Magori River. Out of, out of the lake, the Lumboa have christened Dingo Neck. And it's real prize money that beauty would fetch. Five to ten thousand quid at least. And you bet I've got my Wonder, Wonder Robo and Lumbwa always on the lookout for one when the Magori is in flood. So apparently um, the Wonder Robo and the Lumbwa were the local people who um, Jordan had enlisted for help. Like they were his guides. So he had them constantly on the lookout for the Dingo Neck. Jordan goes on to describe his encounter with the beast thusly. So essentially, yeah, he made his, his guys always be on the lookout for this thing. Then one day um, they rushed back to camp like wide-eyed and completely spooked. And they said that they'd seen one. And Jordan was like, nah, bro, I'm not going to believe you because he's an ass. And then he goes on to see this thing. And this is what he says. Holy saints, but he was a sight 14 or 15 feet long. Head big as that of a lioness, but shaped and marked like a leopard. Two long white fangs sticking straight out of his upper jaw. Back broad as a hippo, scaled like an armadillo, but coloured and marked like a leopard. And the broad fin tail, with slow, lazy swishes, of which he easily was holding himself level in the swift current headed upstream. Gad, but he was a hideous old haunter of a nightmare was this beast fish that made you want an aeroplane to make you feel safe of him. For while he lay upstream of me, I had been brought down to the riverbank precisely where he had taken water, and there, all about me, in the soft mud and loam, were the imprints of feet, wide of diameter as a hippo's, but clawed like a reptile's. Feet you knew could carry him ashore, and claws you could be bally well sure no man could ever get loose from once they had nipped him. <laughs> I just love the way they talk back then. Like, you could be belly well sure. I'm going to start saying that. And gad. Holy saints. I mean, <laughs> you don't get stuff like that anymore. And that's like a direct quote from the book once again. So another notable description comes from Jordan's own biography, which is Elephants in Ivory, True Tales of Hunting and Adventure. This was published in 1956, 
And in this description, Jordan stresses the appearance of scales on the creature's body. So once again, this is a direct quote from Jordan's book. I slid down the bank and got in the cover of the bushes. There it was. It was in midstream, about 30 feet from me. A beast fish, a creature from your nightmares. It was 15 to 18 feet in length. I don't know, I think this guy has grown a little bit from his first initial encounter. But anyways, it was 15 to 18 feet in length, with a massive head. Not a head like a crocodile's, but flat-skulled and round. It had two yellow fangs. Also, apparently, the fangs went from white to yellow, dropping from its upper jaw, and its back was broad as a hippo's. But it was scaled in beautifully overlapping plates, as smooth and as intricate as those I've seen on an old Arabian cuirass. I don't know what an Arabian cuirass is, but apparently they've got beautiful scales. The sunlight fell on those wet scales and was dappled by the leaves and made them seem as brilliantly colored as a leopard's coat. It had something of every animal in it. It was impossible. There was a broad tail, and this was swinging gently against the current, keeping it midstream, keeping it stationary, whatever it was. At last I took aim on it. I aimed the point three o three at the base of the neck and gave it one solid round. I saw the bullet hit and heard it hit the way you do as short the way you do at short range. The beast turned in a great flurry of yellow water until it was facing the bank and my cover. It leaped into the air until it was standing or so it seemed, its pale belly, scales vivid, ten or twelve feet on end. So, yeah, that's his encounter shooting the thing. And then apparently after he shot at the creature, so he fired his rounds, shot at the creature. Apparently he clipped it behind the ear and then <laughs> it got really angry and jumped out the water and then he just kind of bolted. So he ran for camp in the middle of the bushes and he didn't stop. According to the book, he didn't stop until he got safely to a plateau in the bushes away from the river. So, yes, a very, very brave big game hunter he was. So, um, this is, okay, the Dingonic is actually a really fascinating creature because it's not alone. So, there are, like, quite a few accounts of similar animals throughout Africa, which just kind of made my heart so happy because I was like, ooh, what are we looking at here? So, you know, my excitement kind of got the better of me, so let's just get straight into it. <laughs> the tails of water-like felids aren't only contained to Kenya. Throughout the Central Africa Republic, South Sudan, and the DRC, tails of similar creatures to the dingo neck exist. Guys, sorry, can I just put this out there? Ay, the dingo neck is actually really hard for me to read. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just one of those words that I'm like, Urgh. And for some reason, I keep wanting to read it in like an Australian accent because it's dingo. So I'm like, the dingo, Nick. And I'm like, no, no, that's not how you would say it as an African person. So, you know, in African culture. <laughs> so excuse me every time if I sound like I'm blundering over the name of the dingo, Nick. Anyhow, the tales of water-like feelers aren't only contained to Kenya. Oh, I've already read this. Anyways, so like I said, you know, there's a lot of different felid. If you don't know what a felid is, it's a big cat, feline, felid. And yeah, here are the different accounts of the kind of water cats. 
throughout Africa. So in Central African Republic, the Banda tribe fear the Morungu, which translates to water leopard. The Bayo tribe shares tales of the Dilali, which translates to water lion. The Sango tribe speaks of the Zetingu, which um, translates to water panther. And finally, the Zanda tribe of North Central Africa speak of the Mamaime, which translates to water lion, or the Ngoroli, which means water elephant. Furthermore, this is like, this really got me happy. In my home country of South Africa, a series of cave paintings found in Brockfontein shows a tribe facing off a collection of weird-looking creatures, one of which includes a walrus. Like, come on, man. <laughs> so it's actually pretty dope. Like this water uh, jungle walrus or whatever. It, it looks huge. So it shows that there were like saber-toothed animals, water animals living, you know, amongst the tribes of South Africa. So now we get to my favorite part of the episode, and that is... What does Abby think the beastie is? Because, you know, <laughs> there's like no explanation for what this thing could be. I mean, it's a, a lion that has scales, that has huge teeth and a weird tail that lives in the rivers. I don't know. But, okay. In all honesty, I'm just going to be straight with you guys. I do personally think that we're definitely delving into new creature territory here. So just the mere fact that we have so many tales of water-living felids or water lions, water panthers, all of those kind of things um, throughout Africa just makes me think that this thing definitely has to be real. So like I always say, where there's smoke, there's got to be a fire. And honey, there is a lot of smoke with this kind of creature. Um, so I won't lie, the first thing that popped into my head when I was reading about the dingo neck was... You know, like, huh, that sounds like a freshwater walrus. <laughs> so the description, and believe you me, I searched for days trying to find a damn freshwater walrus. But apparently all of those guys are, um, right, they live in the salty seas. However, the feet of the creature had me leaning more towards an aquatic felid creature. So when I, you know, read all of the accounts of the dingo neck and I read that it has feet and legs, I was like... You know, it does sound like a big cat. So this kind of has me leaning more towards the theory that it could actually be a big cat that we haven't discovered. So when I was doing my research, I came across the observation of Belgian-French zoologist turned cryptozoologist, Dr. Bernard Hevelmans. Um, in his 2007 book, Le Filin Encore Inocuse in d'Afrique, <laughs> Anyone in France listening, listening, please just forgive me for that. But anyways, that directly translates uh, translates to the still unknown felines of Africa. He makes a four-tiered case as to why saber felids would have actually thrived in an aquatic environment. And his points are illustrated thusly. Despite popular belief, many cat species are not afraid of water. The very effective... Um, utilization by walruses of their own huge upper canines for anchorage dragging themselves onto land or on ice flows and plowing up the seabed sediment in search of modest sized prey demonstrates that the saber-toothed large canines would be of great benefit for an aquatic existence. Conversely, 
on land, such teeth would surely have been a great handicap to the saber-tooth when attempting to tear off and devour pieces of meat from its prey. Due to this, saber-tooths would have fared badly in competition with true felids of comparable sizes, example, lions and leopards, and ultimately may have been forced to move into ecological niches unoccupied by such cats, namely remote mountains and aquatic realms. So, it is now time for I was today years old, yay! And <laughs> I was today years old when I found out that saber cats were actually assumed to be incredibly social pack animals. Now before I get into this, because this is quite important, but I was also today years old when I found out that saber cats' teeth were actually quite fragile <laughs> and that their skulls weren't um, strong enough. So based on the tests that they've done on fossils found of like saber cats, it shows that their skulls weren't strong enough to actually break bones of their, their creatures. And it was assumed that when they hunted, they actually just slashed. So they, they didn't struggle against their prey. They just kind of slashed and ripped it to pieces. So delicious. But anyway, so I was today as old, the real one, is about the fact that I found out that saber cats were actually assumed to be incredibly social pack animals. So fossils found of certain saber cats show injuries sustained which would have left the cat unable to provide for itself. So what that means basically is um, based on their injuries, the, the cat wouldn't have been able to hunt and it would have starved to death, but it didn't. However, because like, okay, yeah, I'm going to explain it now. However, interestingly, the cats lived on past these inflictions suggesting that the community looked after them and brought scraps of food to the sick. Now, why this is important is because the Morungu of Central African Republic, um, remember that is the water lion of Central African Republic, but anyways, it was described by a local guide named Marcel to hunt in pairs. So one of the cats, no, I'm just saying it's a cat now, but anyways, one of the morungu would startle the prey on the water banks, which would cause the prey to then rush into the water. Now, in the water, there was a second morungu waiting. So they would like just run straight into, you know, quote unquote, the teeth or the jaws of death, basically. So in my mind, this ties closely to the idea of pack living, which the saber cats were suggested to do. So with that in mind... I'm going to fully back the fact that I think that this is an undiscovered saber cat. I think it's very, very possible. And I know you might be asking, okay, well, what, Abby, what cat do you know that has scales? <laughs> and in all honesty, none. I'm just going to be blank with you. I don't know of any scaled cats. However, there was a suggestion. I can't remember where I read this if it was in a paper or a book or something. But um, it was suggested that maybe the scales were just clumps of fur that were stuck together. And that kind of, when the creature got out of the water or the river or whatever it was lying in, um, the fur clumped together, making it look like scales. And the reflection of the water and the wet fur made it look like scales once more. And I believe that. So guys, I totally stand by this. I really think that we're sitting on a brand new kind of saber cat that survived extinction and lives in the jungles of my homeland. So yeah, I'm completely devoted to that theory. 100% cool with it and yeah. 
If you want to agree with me or disagree with me, you know where to find me. But if you don't know where to find me, you can check me out on Instagram, which is meet underscore my underscore monsters. You can hit me up on Twitter, which is meet monsters. You can send me a Gmail, which is meetmymonsterspotty at gmail.com. Or you can go check out my website, which is meetmymonsters.com. Anyways, guys, like always, it's been fun. And I hope that you have a great week and a great day and whatever day of the week you're listening to this on. But anyways, have a great day and I'll see you next week and bye.